I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, and you're listening to Fifth and Mission. Today, we're going to go back at a story you first heard about in the Chronicle. The acting secretary of the Navy resigned on Tuesday, one day after a profanity-laced lecture to the sailors aboard the aircraft carrier Theodore Roosevelt. The speech, which you can hear on an earlier episode of Fifth and Mission, blasted the ousted captain who wrote a letter begging for more assistance in dealing with the coronavirus outbreak aboard the ship. That letter was published by the Chronicle, and we were also the subject of a number of inaccurate attacks by the acting secretary in that message to his sailors. Today, he is no longer in charge of the Navy, and our reporting on this issue is continuing with a shocking story published this morning. That story details just how little protection the sailors aboard are receiving as they attempt to disinfect the nuclear aircraft carrier. Joining me today to discuss the latest news out of the Theodore Roosevelt is Matthias Gaffney. Uh, Matthias, let's start with the big news over the last few days. Yesterday, the Pentagon accepted the resignation of the acting Navy secretary. How did this go down? How did this happen? Yeah. Uh... It's been a whirlwind of a week, um, and what prompted, most likely prompted his resignation and the acceptance of his resignation by the um, head of the Defense Department uh, was when he decided to visit the USS Theodore Roosevelt in Guam, where it's, you know, tackling this uh, COVID problem that it has, and he shows up there and uh, gives about a 15-minute speech to the crew, and it was pretty alarming. I mean, it was a shocking. We uh, we got tran- a transcript of it and uh, a, a recording of the actual uh, remarks that he made to the crew. And um, one person described it to me as an ass whooping. Um, he came in there pretty angry um, with the crew and how they handled the whole situation. Uh, he called their beloved CEO, the Captain Crozier, who um, he removed from post. He's called him too naive um, and too stupid to hold that post if he if he thought that, you know, now famous letter that he sent out wouldn't get into the wrong hands. Um, and he said that he considered it a betrayal by Crozier of how he handled it. Um, so he came out very forcefully against someone that this whole crew just celebrated as he was um, kicked off the, the ship. So that, I think, before then, the ouster of Crozier um, had support, you know, among the uh, Mark Esper, the defense secretary. Um, but I think it was these remarks and this recording of the remarks that we published that really put it over the top and led to his um, now dismissal. Yeah, the the first time I saw it or first time I listened to the speech, which was uh, presumably recorded by some sailor on board um, and, and sent to the media, the first time I heard it, it 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 seemed like a a lecture and it was uh there was profanity in it there was a lot of how dare you sort of tone to it uh not exactly the tone you would think of from a navy secretary and, and you had some sources in your stories um that said i i don't even know how he lasts 24 hours in washington and at the time i was really surprised by those quotes because 
Um, it, it seemed that everybody was on board with getting rid of this captain. What was it about the speech in particular that made it so that um, it, it seemed that his resignation was inevitable? Yeah, um, there was probably a, a few different areas of the speech, frankly, that uh, rubbed people the wrong way. I mean, you're, you, you know, you talk about reading the room, you're going aboard a, an aircraft carrier that has spent about a week watching their shipmates get sick, um, unable to really um, appropriately isolate themselves. They're working like nonstop to clean the ship over and over and over um, as they keep infecting it over and over and have to reclean it over and over. Uh, they're, so they're incredibly busy. They had their commanding officer stick up for them and try to get them help. Um, uh, and uh, they frankly uh, loved him for that. And so when you come on a ship and um, some of them said that it was kind of patronizing the way he was speaking to them, as you said, kind of lecturing them. Um, uh, that's just after all they've been through, that was a lot for them to swallow, I think. Um, and then there was also just uh, some odd statements. He, he went off on a riff about the media and how the media is never part of the chain of command and how the media has an agenda and there's some political alignment with all the media and, you shouldn't, uh, you know, never uh, think that there's someone you should go to in a time of need, uh, particularly pointing out our newspaper, uh, since we were the first to report out uh, Crozier's initial letter. Um, he talked about the Chinese and how had they reported earlier on this, this uh, called them an authoritarian government that, you know, had they reported earlier, this could have been nipped in the bud a long time ago. It went on a variety of different tangents um, away from kind of the soothing and, um, yes, I, I relieved you of your commander, but I'm, we want to set this right. And we have a strict chain of command. It went off that script significantly. And I think that's what led a lot of people in the military and Navy, um, uh, veterans to speak out against it and, and say that, you know, he's not lasting much longer. Uh, now I want to, ask you about the attacks specifically against the Chronicle and, and some of the things we've been hearing from the Navy and the federal government at the end of this podcast. But but I also want to ask you right now about the the resignation letter that he submitted. Um, when you sent it to me, I my first reaction was that it, it struck me as a very odd sort of resignation letter. Yeah, that I mean, you we, we kind of set up our podcast here what, maybe 45 minutes ago, the timing, and we literally just got a hold of his five-page, uh, I wouldn't call it a resignation letter necessarily, but it was a memo he sends out, these vectors that they send out, the Secretary of the Navy, periodically. And so he chose to, you know, turn that into his quasi-resignation uh, letter, where he addresses the the um, Roosevelt situation and has some regrets about how he he came across to the crew. Um, but, uh, it's just odd also, um, in, in his phrasing in this letter as well. Um, he's, you know, brings up an extended spinal tap reference, um, from the movie. Um, and he, you know, I mean, his, his letter ends with beat, beat army. Um, 
So there's like a lot of rah-rah Navy stuff in there amidst him saying he's leaving his position um, after he addressed the crew of this ship. And uh, while he says, you know, the way he came across in his remarks to the crew, um, he regrets. But the words themselves, he said they hope he hopes that they will one day read them without that emotion attached to it and get something out of it. Yeah, it, uh, the you, as you said, you just you just got this um, this vector from the former acting secretary of the Navy. Um, I, I don't even know if you've had any time to talk to people aboard the USS Theodore Roosevelt. They're on a completely different. They're they're um, a, a, it's you know probably nighttime there right now, so they're probably not awake yet. But overall. Um, even though it's hard to characterize what 4,000 people aboard a nuclear aircraft carrier are thinking, what's what's some of the reaction that you hear from the men and women aboard that ship? Well, they definitely um, are on Team Crozier. Uh, they uh, really took to him, um, especially after that letter came to light um, where he requested immediate help. Um from the folks I spoke to, it was a rare example where uh, their CEO, their commanding officer, put the lives and the um, welfare of um, his or her crew above the mission. Um, oftentimes, they feel like the mission comes first, whereas, you know, part of the mission is having a healthy crew. And so they really got behind um, Captain Crozier and were shocked when he was relieved of his command. And, you know, as we were reporting shortly after that, we got word kind of almost 24 hours in advance when um, the Secretary of the Navy was headed to Guam for his now infamous uh, speech to the crew. We got word that he was he was heading out to Guam for that. And uh, I think the you know, superior officers who were still on the Roosevelt knew that he was coming into um, a tense situation with a crew that supported Crozier so much and like literally warned the crew not to boo when uh, the secretary of the Navy arrives at the boat. So, I, I mean, this is, it was clearly a tense situation for them. And now they're frankly think that the right thing was done is my impression I get from those we spoke to um, about uh, the secretary of the Navy, just uh, not acting as he should in his position um, and should have been let go. And, and to extend it further, the family members of the, the crew are absolutely um, thought that at least the ones we spoke to thought that Crozier was right in helping their daughters or their sons um, stay safe. And that um, it was, uh, you know, borderline criminal for uh, Crozier to be removed by the secretary of Navy. So they, um, have applauded the resignation. And one of the dads from Florida told me that he can join us now at home, um, Maudley, the Secretary of the Navy, and watch the Navy properly address this situation. Well, um, you know, the there's a lot of question about if that's actually being done right now based on some of the stories um, that you're, you've written. But before we get to that, we know that the captain, Captain Crozier, has coronavirus. Do we know how he's doing? We don't know much about his condition. Um, we uh, know that he 
just we learned that he was positive probably I, I think it was a day after his removal from the ship um so what we do know is we saw as many people in the country did these viral videos from crew members of him getting a hero send off as he's walking down the gangway onto Guam and you know <laughs> that's about the only impression we have of his health is he just looks like he's perfectly healthy and walking down there and he gave a wave to them goodbye before he drives off but no we don't have really much any further information about how he's doing since a lot has been made about the idea that the captain did not go through the proper chain of command to to air his grievances about how the navy was not doing enough to help contain the coronavirus outbreak on the aircraft carrier um every time i hear someone say well he went outside the chain of command i think do we really know that he didn't have earlier efforts to go through a more proper chain of command? Is there anything you can tell us about about that? Yeah, you're getting into kind of like the million dollar question, I think, um, for all of this is um, people are speculating and it's you probably can imagine why most military officials and Navy folks we spoke to said they couldn't believe that that letter that explosive letter where he's pleading for help is the first attempt he made to get help. They figure there must have been um, some order of events where as stuff, as more positive tests came back and he realized the extent of the emergency, he was putting out SOSs to um, his superiors. We don't know that for sure. It just hasn't come out yet. Um, what was done prior, the Navy officials, have definitely spun their side of the story where they said that, you know, we were in contact with Captain Crozier in the days leading up to his letter and we were moving to get um, help his way. And we were, um, the N Navy secretary said that he told the captain, the cap or the chief of staff or the Navy secretary told the captain that he could call the Navy secretary if, if, if it came down to it. So we don't know, you know, we have one, partial side of the story for that we don't have the full story yet of what um would have led him to that and that's really what it's going to come down to you know there's we they've already announced the pentagon and there's gonna be an investigation into what led up to that um and there's other calls for the oversight committee um today also asked for those emails exchanges or any communication between those important people as well so that's that's really what is going to be interesting coming up on on what led to that. I'm speaking with reporter Matthias Gaffney. Matthias, when we come back from this break, I want to ask you about your news story about what is going on on the Theodore Roosevelt. We'll be back right after this. Matthias, your story that uh, posted on sfchronicle.com this morning, I, uh, my jaw actually, I, I, it was open the whole time I read it. I was so surprised. It, it seems that after Captain Crozier's letter begging the Navy for help became public, things started to happen very quickly. More people were removed from the aircraft carrier. Um, they were put into hotels on Guam. There was better quarantine situation. But now it's left to the remaining people on the aircraft carrier to clean it up. Are they getting the proper materials and protection they need to decontaminate this aircraft carrier? Yeah, so it sounds like the ones we spoke to are saying no. Um, and this probably isn't unique to the 
Teddy Roosevelt. Um, this is, and clearly we're seeing this across the country of shortages in hospitals and care facilities for what they call PPE, gloves, masks, gowns, that kind of thing. So on the aircraft carrier from the folks we've spoken to, um, many have started to fashion t-shirts into masks. So um, as they're cleaning the ship, which they have what they call a bleachapalooza um, twice a day on the ship where uh, they take a bleach solution and clean the ship over and over on these periods of time to um, try to uh, disinfect it multiple times a day. And um, these folks who are still on the ship um, basically are, they have gloves, we're told, but um, not much else to protect them while they're doing this cleaning. And um, as the captain said, and many of the sailors and their families have said, there's just no way to isolate yourself on these ships. And so this protective equipment also isn't used or or there for them to protect themselves just being close in close quarters with people who are potentially sick still. Right, because we know now that asymptomatic people can transmit this and not everybody on the ship has been tested. Is that correct? As of today, they said 80 percent of the sailors have been tested and, and that's about of maybe like over 4,800 sailors total. And there's been 230 positive tests that have come back. The Navy has also ordered military staff, not just on the theater Roosevelt, Roosevelt, but I, I believe everywhere in the military, to cover their faces while they're serving. Have they provided anything to enlisted sailors and soldiers uh, to, to be able to execute that order? Not as far as we can tell. And frankly, the Pentagon in that um, directive said that they are reserving those types of N95 masks, for instance, for the appropriate personnel. So you'd imagine like doctors and you know military doctors and nurses and whatnot. So no, um, from the folks we talked to on the ship and the ones who were in group quarantine um, away from the ship, uh, there were no masks. Um, and so they're doing this cleaning um, with little to no protection. Um, and I remember I spoke to this one father whose son uh, got tested four days ago. He stopped tasting and smelling, uh, which is, uh, you probably heard one of the early indicators that you may be COVID positive. Um, he got tested, hasn't had his results back in about four days and is still on the ship and he's still cleaning with very little protection. He's been told once he pops positive, potentially his bag should be packed and ready to get off the ship. But Potentially, as he's waiting for these test results, he's on there cleaning um, the ship uh, and not having much protection. Well, and also potentially infecting the other people that are cleaning the ship, which raises a question of how well the ship can possibly be cleaned. Yeah, it's that's the big question. I mean, the idea is they're going to rotate. They're going to get they're going to try to get um, just a, a, maybe two thirds of the ship off into Guam, into in isolated hotel rooms, which is frankly what Captain Crozier wanted, although he wanted higher numbers than that. And as a, a skeleton crew stays on ship and starts cleaning the ship and they have more room to space out, uh, the after the 14-day quarantine on Guam, that crew would come back onto the ship and then the skeleton crew would go to Guam and do their 14-day quarantine. And meanwhile, the ship would be cleaned up 
officially um, and thoroughly. And then after that second 14 days, then they would hopefully go back and leave Guam. But getting that ship clean, as we've seen from cruise ships, um, is not an easy uh, thing. And with cruise ships, you can just ditch it. You don't have to worry about two nuclear reactors that power the ship, all the armaments, all the the war, the the fighter jets that are on there and all the security issues. Well, and one of the the points that was made by the acting secretary of the Navy and others was that the the media coverage and specifically you and your colleagues coverage, our coverage of this was um, leaving the military vulnerable because we were exposing that there was a nuclear aircraft carrier that was not at its full strength. But I was really struck by the contrast of that statement by the military and also the acting secretary's, um, you know, pseudo resignation letter where he seems to come out and state that there are many military ships that are in a similar situation. We're just hearing a lot about the Theodore Roosevelt, given the the ouster of Captain Crozier. Yeah, there's there's this general idea that the media is the enemy that, you know, that's been out there for a bit, um, from the, the administration entirely. Um, and that, you know, we're, we're an enemy of the, of the Navy and trying to embarrass the Navy with these stories. Um, and, you know, we're sourced pretty well at this point with, um, sailors and their families and, you know, they all want the word out. Um, they're worried about their loved ones. And, um, as Captain Crozier wrote in his letter, we're in peacetime. Um, this is not the, um, the opportunity where we need to, uh, not the, the situation where we need to risk sailor lives, um, because we're on alert because we're in a world war two or the cold war where we're constantly on guard. This is a, a moment where we can take a breath. We can get this ship clean and keep a skeleton crew on there even so. And so we're mission ready, um, and so this this idea that the media is out to embarrass the Navy, um, I, it's it's something that, you know, um, they're trying to prevent leaks. They're trying to um, cover up potentially an embarrassing situation. But um, in the end, I believe that our reports and other media reports on this situation actually will be helping the Navy and will be helping keep sailors safe. I I absolutely agree 5000%. I think you can tell that um that keeping a spotlight on the health of our sailors and our soldiers who are fighting to protect our country is probably I think the most American thing that the media can possibly do. The last thing I want to ask you about and this is a very sensitive thing to discuss um is your sourcing on this. So you've been writing these stories uh, with your colleague Joe Garofoli and Talk Hopin in our Washington bureau, um, the 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 way that this was originally leaked to us was done by an anonymous source. And if anybody who is listening to this is interested in how the Chronicle verifies anonymous sourcing, uh, we have the our policy on our website at the bottom of the web page. You can go and check it out. Um, what? You know, I, I think a lot of people probably don't understand that you all know who, how you got these documents, but even I don't know how you got these documents um, because I choose not to ask in case we all have to end up in court someday and um, testify to this. 
What do you want to say about the sourcing and and how these stories come to the media? Yeah, um, you know, it's uh, when you're dealing with anonymous sources and you're dealing with such a sensitive um, story. Um, obviously, uh, you know, I'm somewhat limited in what I could say, but um, in general, you know, we're very careful. We as as you said on each of these stories, we're po- we're posting our anonymous sources policy. Um, literally embedded within the story. And we have a link to a further, more detailed version of it. But we take that very seriously. Um, These are very um, serious issues that we're dealing with. And um, we want to be as transparent as we can about our reporting on it while also protecting people. Um, And so, you know, frankly, on uh, on stories this sensitive, it's oftentimes, as you've seen across history, that um, people don't necessarily want to use their names um, in whistleblowing or um, uh, speaking the truth about um, these types of topics. And so we have to balance that um, and, you know, make sure we know who we're talking to and, and vet these people and make sure these sources are legitimate. And, you know, frankly, I can't tell you over the last week how many tips um, we've gotten and how many we just can't pursue just because maybe someone's reticent to go forward. Maybe we just can't quite um, figure out if this person is legitimate and we err conservatively on that. And um, uh, I think we're still been able to put forward powerful stories, um, but we're always incredibly cautious and careful um, with our sourcing and, and how we report these stories out. And I think the last thing I would add to that is anyone who's trying to um, determine what a source's motivation is, um, you can't you can't know that unless you know who the source is. So I, I I've seen a lot of speculation out there about who it is, and I would just say to everybody, calm down. It is legit. Um, obviously, the Navy knows that all of this was legitimate, even though they're trying to downplay it now. And Matthias, I think you all have done. Um, our enlisted men and women a great service from this very difficult reporting. So thanks a lot. Sure, absolutely. I'd like to thank Matthias Gaffney for being with me today. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode. And thank you for listening. Fifth and Mission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.